Good morning. Merry Christmas. Um, wow, welcome. I'm actually very surprised. I was expecting you, me, and the tree this morning, and uh, this is pretty cool um, to see see uh, all you guys this morning for scaled down version of uh, what will be normal Sunday. Don't forget, don't be here tomorrow. Don't be here tomorrow. You will be by yourself. Um, this is it. So no radical kids today and uh, very scaled down. And I intend to be mildly brief. And so I'm watching the clock. And, and I really intend to scale myself down this morning too. But I want to look at, while doing so, Isaiah 9. Um, particularly want to focus on verse 6 and 7. This is, this is one of my favorite Advent texts ever. Um, and, and I adore this passage probably because of just the the magnitude of what um, Isaiah is looking forward to here as he prophesies uh, about the present time in national Israel while also looking ahead to the future of what the Lord is going to do. In order to set the stage and help this make sense for you, um, the Old Testament um, really... Uh, sets the stage for us in understanding salvation history, God's purpose in all of history from beginning all the way to the end. And, and the Old Testament uh, reveals to us six major covenants. That is the way God relates to man. He does that in the uh, covenant with Adam and Eve, Noah and his family, Abraham and his descendants, David and his kingdom, and in the new covenant of Jesus and his church. And the reason I tell you that is because Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 really hits hard, really hard on the Davidic covenant. And, and, and kind of having a, a, an understanding of what God is doing in that is really making that text come alive for you um, and, and me. So that as tomorrow morning happens, um, the magnitude of it doesn't fall into space, but lands on soft hearts that are longing for um, the full advent of our King. And, and, and God's dealing in relationship with Adam and Eve, um, one of the things that God does in that is He establishes marriage uh, and the family unit as the form that God's family takes. And, and Jesus, when He comes along in the New Covenant, doesn't abolish that, but he builds on it, and he builds on the sanctity of the marriage as the base of a family. When you come to Noah, the form that God's family takes is the domestic household. And Jesus doesn't abolish the extended family or the domestic household. As a matter of fact, he builds on it. You remember that instance where Jesus is teaching and he's with his disciples and his, his mom and his brothers come, but they won't even come in the house where he's at because they think he's nut. And, and, and they come into Jesus and say, your mother and brothers are here to see you. And he says, looking around the room, he said, these are my mother and my brothers. And so Jesus builds on that idea of extended family. And, and, and it's not a bloodline issue, but it's a kinship of people who have the indwelling spirit connecting together as the family of God. And he comes to Abraham. And, and the form that God's family takes is that of a tribe. And Abraham will be the chief of a tribe of people that would include people from all nations around the face of the planet. And Jesus doesn't abolish that. He builds on it. He builds on this tribal identity as the target of the preaching of the gospel to all nations. And then there's the, the covenant God makes with Moses and Israel. And the form that God's family takes is being a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. 
And Jesus doesn't abolish a kingdom of priests that are holy. He demands holiness. And he provides it. And he makes all of his people priests with equal access to the Father with spirit and dwelling. And then there's David and his kingdom. The establishment of a royal empire. And a national kingdom being the form that God's family takes. And Jesus does not abolish kingship. And this is, this is where the rubber meets the road in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Jesus doesn't abolish kingship. But rather himself takes the seat as king on David's throne ruling well. And Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 looks forward to that day that this child would be born and take the seat of David on the throne and rule forever. And then Jesus comes along in the new covenant and does not abolish but builds on and fulfills the form that God's family is going to take in his kingdom being a worldwide kingdom that Jesus calls his church. And in this, Jesus doesn't abolish the covenants. Rather, he builds on their sanctity and forms a family from all nations that honors family identity from the marriage relationship on up to the tribe and unites them as one kingdom called the church over which Jesus sits on David's throne as king. And so this passage, uh, the reason this Isaiah 9, particularly verse 1 through 7, but more importantly and specifically today, focusing on verse 6 and 7, the reason that's important to talk about those things is because Isaiah is speaking the language of this Davidic covenant. This child to be born to us establishes a royal empire and a national kingdom that this child will rule as king from one end of eternity all the way to the other. This child, this God-man, this Jesus will sit on David's throne and establish a worldwide kingdom that he calls his church. And if you are in Christ, you are part of that kingdom that is your national identity. Christmas ensures that you are not American first. You're not Canadian first. I don't think have any Canadians in here. You're not whatever first. That your national identity as a person in the kingdom is that citizen of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And there lies your first allegiance. Because of what Isaiah promises Jesus will do. This church is one family made up of distinct tribes. From the entire earth and each person is a priest and holy to the Lord. And this family is vital from the national identity of the kingdom of God all the way down to the family unit. So how does Isaiah communicate the wonderful work that the Lord is doing in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7? Let me read for you verse 6 and 7. Um, You'll recognize these passages, I hope you will. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
So what is Isaiah telling us here about this king that is to be born to us who will sit on the throne of David and rule for all eternity? The first thing I have for you in some notes, hopefully you got when you came in, and they're posted on the blog as well, and you can get them later if you need them. A king is given who from eternity would have the government on his shoulders. A king is given who from eternity would have the government on his shoulders. We have a king who rules rightly. We have many government officials. And if you watch the news, you see them debating and hashing out things. And in reality, many of them govern for their own good. But we have a king who has been born to us, that sits on the throne of David, who rules rightly. And his name is Jesus. I want to, I want to state this very clearly, so I'm going to take my notes that I have here, and I want you to hear what I'm about to say with no ambiguity. This is not to assert that the triune God has not been ruling history well. Up until this time, to the time of the birth of Jesus, this is not to say in any way that, that the triune God has not been ruling well. He has been ruling well. This passage asserts that the plan of salvation from all eternity is breaking into history at this point. And it is a monumental day. When Isaiah looks forward to this child who will be born, Isaiah is looking forward to the monumental day that the reality of God's rule would come and take on flesh so that eyes might see and taste and feel His rule. This statement that the government will be on His shoulder carries with it a very military feel. Um, the ensign of office used to be worn on the shoulder. Speaking of this particular time, particularly the Assyrian Empire that is coming to conquer the northern kingdom. The sign of ensign of office is worn on the shoulder in token of sustaining the government. And you can see the reference in Isaiah 22, 22. And here the government on the Messiah's shoulder is marked and a very marked antithesis to the yoke and staff of the oppressor in verse 4 here in chapter 9. And Jesus receives the kingdom from His Father and He will vindicate the misrule of His people by these people by ruling them well. And the point is this. Jesus is that King who rules His kingdom well. And on Christmas, we celebrate the birth of the God-man who sits as King today on David's throne, ruling you and I and all nations well. It's not just the celebration of 8 pounds, 6 ounce baby Jesus. It is the celebration of the God-man coming to sit on the throne and govern rightly. How cool! Hey, guess what? You have a king and a president today who will not fail, who will not vote for his good and for your bad, but who will always do right by you for his glory and for your good. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas. We have a king who from all eternity has had the government on his shoulders. Amen? Isn't that good to know? takes Congress forever to figure out how to do what's right. Jesus just does it. Number two, our king is the total package. I couldn't think of a better way to summarize 
chapter uh, chapter 9, verse 6, the second part. First part, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I draw your attention to this statement, and his name shall be called. The Lord's knowable. The Lord is knowable. For, for you, maybe that's not a profound statement. But false religions globally have this shroud of mystery surrounding this demonic entity that masks as a deity to keep the people away from this so-called God because this so-called God isn't knowable and therefore isn't to be called or referred to as anything personable. But the Scriptures scream to us over and over, His name shall be called. This is how you know Him. Call Him by this name. The point being, He's knowable. Listen, this implies that the Lord of hosts is knowable and has a name, and that man can know Him, you and I can know Him, and He desires to know us. He's not shrouded in mystery hidden somewhere out there, but that He breaks open the veil of history to make Himself known to you and I that we can know Him and He know us. It implies that there's relationship to be had with this child who is to be born, who is to be our King and rule us well. You see, the reality is you can't walk up to the White House and meet your president. But the King of the universe says, here's my name, know me. I want to know you. And by the name given to us, he's called Wonderful Counselor. This title, Wonderful, regularly means supernatural. Judges 13, 18 gives you an example of where the title Wonderful is applied with supernatural connotations. And in Isaiah 28, 29, it is Yahweh who is wonderful in counsel. So when this child who is born who has the government on his shoulders, who desires to know you, And for you to know Him, says He is wonderful counselor. That is, He is God, and God's great delight is to be your counselor. Hey guys, a little tip for you. The best counselor on the face of the planet is none other than King Jesus, who indwells you by His Spirit. You have the best counsel dwelling in you by the Spirit. And on Christmas, that was made available to you. You can know Him today. Hey, take this opportunity to know Him. Find time. If you have to get up early, if you have to go to bed late, find time to commune with the King of the universe who says to you, know me. Know me. He's called Mighty God. Everlasting Father. And He is called Prince of Peace. This last title, Prince of Peace, gives a foreshadowing of what's about to take place in verse 7. Prince. Prince. Prince of peace. Prince as in the one who is to rule afterward. That is, he is to inherit the throne. That is, he is the one who is to be king. And then verse 7 tells us how that takes place. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Which leads me to the third and final point. Our king governs 
And our king's government will never end, but rather it will continue to increase. This prince of peace, his government will never end, rather it will continue to increase. This is part of the struggle, I think, for Christians sometimes when we come to global issues, is recognizing that it's not that Jesus is going to rule when he returns. When he took the throne of David, his government sovereignly runs history. Remember in Revelation, he is the one who opens the seals of history. He's running history of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. This very day, the Christ child's government is growing and his rule is growing. As the gospel advances, his sovereign rule advances. Today, the Christ child rules history And his government is expanding. His empire is growing to include all nations. That there will be representatives from all nations who would come and make much of him and delight in him and come underneath his government and of his peace drink forever. Our king's government will never end. Hey, newsflash. The United States of America is not intended to last forever and it will not. Just isn't. But Jesus' kingdom... Well, the Christ child who was born of the increase of his government, there's no end. It's just going to increase and increase and increase and increase until we get to that glorious Revelation 21 thing we saw where the heavens and the earth begin to fade away and he brings a new heaven and new earth and on his throne he will visibly sit and rule all nations. His government's increasing today. Daniel 2.44 also gives us a glimpse of this day when he said, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Jesus' kingdom will never fall. It will never fall. Think about that. What citizen do you want to be? Of a kingdom that will fall? Of a kingdom that will only increase and get stronger? That's the economic plan I want to be on. That's the king under which I want to come. And my invitation to you is this kingdom spoken of here in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 of Daniel 2, 44. That he goes on to say in Daniel 2, It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Jesus is going to crush all kingdoms. And his kingdom is going to stand forever. And that's what the Christ child came to bring for us. This kind of stability, this kind of governmental authority under which we can stand in stability because of his government, there will be no end. And of his peace, there will be no end. Guys, today Jesus sits on the throne of David, ruling the nations well. And at Christmas, that's what we celebrate. And as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus, Advent is intended to point us to the second coming of Jesus And to have our hearts begin to long for that advent. So will you do me a favor? Will you join with me? Today and tomorrow. At setting your heart on enjoying the rule of Jesus. And looking forward to the increase of his rule. So that as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus. We would live like people who live under his rule.
and thus become salt and light as he would have us to be influencing the world around us. And guys, when we come to the new year, we're going to be talking about those things, Bible and politics. And we'll be looking through the scriptures at his government and how he intends his government to continue to increase and how as followers of Christ we're to live like that. And you know what? What a great opportunity at Christmas to begin to live like that now. Because the Christ child, the God-man, the second person of the Trinity came to die in your place for your sin and rule all nations well and grow his government. And guess what? You're a citizen of that government and an ambassador of his rule. Let's enjoy that this Christmas. Recognizing that come what may, our King is ruling us well and will only do good for us and only work for our good and for His glory. And let's celebrate that. Can we do that? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, um, there's so many things that's going to pull at us today. I know for me personally, so many things are going to pull at my heart, my desires. And you know my flesh is weak. Um, my spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And often my desire is to keep a weak flesh. Um, but I pray today, I beg you today, Holy Spirit, I, you would um, draw my desires closer, closer, closer to what it looks like to be a fully sanctified, devoted follower of Jesus. I need you to do that for me today. I need to look like a citizen of your kingdom I need to live like a citizen of your kingdom. I need to live under the rules of your kingdom. I need to live under the, the sovereign advance of your kingdom. I need to be an ambassador of your kingdom in every way. And I just ask that you'll help me to set my heart on that today because I know that so many things are going to yank me away from my desire for that and going to challenge my desire for that. So I just ask you to increase my desire for that. Give me a hunger for your kingdom. Give me a hunger for your rule that's unmatched by anything else. I pray for our people, uh, that you, your people, Three Rivers, people from all over Floyd County who love you and love the gospel, all those who are in the church who believed and love the gospel, I pray, Father, that you would cause their desires to be strong for you and your rule, and that we would celebrate your rule and live under your rule, and that our joy in your rule today would be great. Lord, we love you. Thanks for loving us first. Jesus, thank you for coming to take on flesh and eat our food and speak our language and wear our clothes and walk in our steps and die in our place for our sin and rise and ascend to rule. Thank you. Let our lives reflect what you deserve. In worship we pray.